Our text this morning comes from Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. And it's a passage that has a very interesting background. Peter and John had been on their way to prayer meeting that afternoon. And at the gate of the temple, Peter and John encountered a pest, a beggar, a man whose presence was as familiar to the churchgoers as the temple itself was. And this beggar did what beggars do. He asked for help. He's begging alms. And without any irritation, without any hesitation, Peter and John started reaching and searching in their pockets. And unfortunately, they only had a little lint in those pockets. They were completely empty. And Peter then, speaking for the two of them, looked at that beggar. And he said, silver and gold have I none. Well, on most occasions, that would have ended the conversation because that's what the man was wanting. Peter just told him, he said, I'm tapped out. I don't have a dime to my name. I don't have a penny today. But these men, Peter and John, they did not feel like the fact that they didn't have any money excused them. They felt they should at least make some kind of contribution toward this man's welfare. So Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But he added to that, he said, but... Such as I have, give I unto thee. I don't have any money, Peter said, but I tell you what, I will give you what I can. Now you think about that just a moment. This man is at the gate of the temple and he's begging for money. If Peter and John are broke and they don't have any silver or gold to give him, what did they have? Well, for one thing... They had a keen personal interest in this beggar. You see, they had a personal interest in people. Because that's what Jesus had taught them to do, to have an interest in people. And they looked on this parasite. And they saw in him something of value. And you know what? I suspect that the countless... Hundreds, probably thousands of people that had looked at this man as they passed him by on the gate, at the gate to the temple, had never looked upon him as something of value. But their deep personal interest awakened hope in that man's heart. It stirred inside this beggar a faith and an expectancy that he would have thought was impossible. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, such as I have, give I to thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you know what he did? He stood up and he started walking. And he went into the temple leaping and praising God. Because of that encounter that day at the gate of the temple with Peter and John, that poor beggar was healed in body. But better than that, he was cured in heart. He went into the temple. And he went into the temple walking. Nobody had to carry him in there. Dr. Luke says he went in walking and leaping 
excited and happy and praising God. Well, that afternoon when the prayer meeting started, there's a new face in attendance. People looked around and they saw that, well, that's the beggar that has been at the gate all these years. And so after the service was over, the people gathered around this beggar and they talked to him and they realized he's clinging to Peter and to John. Why? Because they're the men that healed him. And the fact that people were crowding around this man that had just a few hours earlier been a lame beggar and he's clinging to Peter and John that gave Peter the opportunity he was waiting for Peter decided it's time to preach okay there was an audience there okay and the audience was staring at Peter and Peter did what preachers do in that situation he started preaching he proceeded to tell that crowd that was assembled there that this man that had hours earlier been lame at the gate of the temple begging alms, that he was walking through the power of Jesus. And he told them, he said, it's the same Jesus that your authorities crucified and God raised from the dead. He said, this Jesus Christ, the Jesus your authorities crucified and God raised from the dead, it's through His power that this beggar has been made whole. Well, you can imagine that among those proud Jews there at the temple, that kind of talk couldn't be tolerated. That was dangerous talk. So you know what they did with Peter and John? They locked them up for the night. And the next morning comes, and the apostles are brought out of jail, and they're brought to trial. And guess who's on the court? The court is dominated by the men who had been the prime movers in the legal murder of Jesus Christ. And having been somewhat unfriendly toward Jesus, these men on the court were not friendly toward these apostles either. But having considered the question that was brought to them, they brought in a verdict that was considered to be somewhat mild. Peter and John were not asked to renounce their faith altogether. They were not asked to go back to the temple and tell the assembled crowd there they had made misrepresentations. The council only demanded that they not speak to anyone in the name of Jesus. And to the council's way of thinking, that was a very mild sentence. And you know, I can imagine something. After standing before that council, and it's the same group of people that had crucified Jesus, I can imagine that those peasant Preachers were amazed beyond words at the sentence that was given to them. Because they had already realized Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant men. 
It had already t- Dr. Luke had already told us that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, realized they were unlearned and ignorant men, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. But guess what? They did not thank the court for its leniency. Here's their response in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God judge you. For we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. You might not want us to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, but we can't help it. We can't help but speak about the things of Jesus Christ that we've seen and heard. Beloved, there are two very important, impressive facts about this scene. It's impressive the way that these men, Peter and John, it's impressive the way Peter and John saw this through to its conclusion. Because if you think back, they had showed up quite poorly when Jesus was arrested. But here they did not give way to cowardly compromise. But they faced that court that day. And they faced that court with a quiet defiance. They said, what you ask of us is unthinkable. What you ask of us is impossible. And silence about Jesus Christ for us is not an option. They said, we receive our authority from God, not from men. And that being the case, we can't help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. They told that court, I don't care what you say. In spite of any decree you hand down, in spite of anything you forbid us to do, we're going to keep on preaching. And we're going to keep on telling people about Jesus Christ. The court adjourned. And the court knew the apostles had won and not the judges. I'm impressed. The way that Peter and John and the others had behaved the night that Jesus was arrested and put on trial, I'm impressed at the way they conducted themselves in this hard situation. I'm impressed that they saw it through, and I'm impressed that they did it with comparative ease. I don't know how I'd have been. I'm afraid that if I'd been in their shoes that night before trial, I'm sitting there in the jail, I'm afraid that I might have spent a very sleepless night before trial that night. The men that they're going to stand in trial before were men that helped crucify, the men that had murdered, murdered Jesus Christ. They were powerful, unscrupulous men. To say they were powerful and unscrupulous means they were without principle, crooked, ruthless, immoral. Kind of reminds you of a 21st century politician, doesn't it? I'm afraid. I would have found it hard to face the prospect of a trial in front of those kind of men with a quiet mind. I'm sure that I would have appeared the next morning in court with a 
face that was no doubt haggard and drawn by anxiety and fear. And before you go, you probably would have too. But Peter and John, they came into court that morning and they had a countenance on their face that spoke of Jesus Christ. And they saw the ordeal through. And they did it with a beautiful ease. Now, I want you to use your sanctified imagination. And I want you to imagine the scene as Peter and John are released and they return to their friends. And they go back and they tell their friends everything that's happened and everything that's been said to them. And their friends don't see any marks on them of tenseness. They don't see any tragic stain of nervousness and anxiety in their faces. All they could see was a quiet and settled peace. And I can hear them tell their friends, well, we told the council we couldn't help but speak the things we'd seen and heard. And I can hear the friends say, well, how in the world did you manage to do that? How were you able to do that? Peter and John said we couldn't do otherwise. It was as natural at this point in their lives to be courageous as it had been to be cowardly the night Jesus was betrayed. Now this story, this story has an enduring interest for me and for you, for all of us. At some point, All of us, all of us have our hours of testing. We have difficult days that come to us in life. That we would like to meet in the same victorious way Peter and John met this challenge in their life. Because in one way or another, You and I stand at the forks of the road every day. Being tempted sometimes to compromise, we need to have the courage to take the right path. And for Peter and John that day, compromise would have been so simple for them. Compromise would have been so easy for them. They said, we're going to let you go. But you can't speak or preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John could have just said, yes, sir. We'll do that. And gone on their way and surrendered. But they didn't. They looked that counsel in the eye and they said, we can't help but speak the things that we've seen and the things that we have heard. We need to meet our ordeals in life. When we stand at the forks of the road, we need to meet the ordeals and the challenges and the hardships of life with some of the valor and daring that Peter and John had that day. They saw the situation through. They did it with honor. And they did a big thing. And they did it as if it just came naturally. They did it with a beautiful naturalness. 
There wasn't any bluster. There was well, I'll tell you one thing. Here's how it's going to be. There wasn't any blustering. There wasn't any pontificating. There wasn't any clenching of fist or squaring of jaw. They just said, we can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. They spoke to the council that day, beloved, as if courage and loyalty had become second nature with them because they'd found something. In Jesus Christ, they found a strength that they did not know they possessed. In Jesus Christ, they learned to be good without even really trying. To be good. And to be good without a great deal of sweat is the only way to make goodness attractive. Over the years, I have known some deeply religious folks. And some of those deeply religious folks I have known have been horrible religious folks. Because though they might have checked all the boxes the way they went about checking the boxes and the demeanor with which they checked those boxes didn't commend Christianity to anybody. Go over to Luke chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son and, and you've got the elder brother in that story. And the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son is a very religious man. He's clean and he's honorable and he's hardworking. But there's no beauty and there's no joy in his religion. According to his own testimony in the Gospel according to Luke, his religion was dire slavery. Luke chapter 15, verse 29, Philip's translation reads, He says to the Father, Look how many years I've slaved for you. Or go over to Luke chapter 18. And you've got the story of the Pharisee and the publican. And the publican comes in and he goes over in the corner. And he smites his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Won't even lift up his eyes to heaven. Pharisee comes and he prances in all proud. And he, oh God, I'm thankful I'm not like other men are. I fast twice a week. I, I pay tithes of everything I possess. Oh God, I'm such a good person. And God, you're just so lucky that you've got somebody like me to be your servant. What do we see in the Pharisee's religion? It's repelling rather than charming. Maybe the poet summed it up best in these lines. I saw a way-worn traveler in tattered garments clad. And struggling up the mountain, it seemed that he was sad. Poor fellow. He's on his way to heaven and his best garment was rags. And there's no laughter in his journey. I'm afraid. That's the impression sometimes we leave with the unchurched people we come in contact with. They look at us. They look at our lives. They look at our manner of conduct. And they concede that 
we're on our way to heaven. And they're even willing to concede the fact that heaven's a wonderful place and once we get there, we're going to be really happy when we get there. But by our actions and by our lives, they're convinced we're having a horrible time on the trip. And that's not the way God wants us to be. Of all of God's creation, men and women, mankind is the only thing God created that has the ability to laugh and to smile. And God created us that way. And people that see us on our way to heaven ought to be, be seeing people that are happy and joyous and excited about being on their way to heaven. We can learn to be thoroughly Christian without the strain. We've got to practice living up to our very best day by day. That's not the entirety of it, but that's part of it. It's the idea of putting our Christianity, the idea of putting our Christ-likeness into practice every day. We read about Jesus. As his custom was, he entered the synagogue. He was addicted to church attendance. A good life is largely made up of good habits. And we practice those good habits until those good habits become second nature to us. Think about the Old Testament story of Daniel. Think about how the statesman Daniel got in the way of the cheap politicians of Babylon. How did he do it? He prayed to God. And the Bible says, as was his custom aforetime. Good habits are important. And while good habits are important, Companionship with Jesus Christ is far, far more important. That was the supreme secret of the power and the courage of Peter and John. It was something that was evident even in front of that unfriendly court. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Years earlier in their life, they had met the Master. And they had been invited into His fellowship. And as they had fellowship with Jesus Christ, they came to know Him. And they came to love Him. And as they came to know Him, and as they came to love Him, more and more they came to be like Him. They came to possess His nature. They came to possess His disposition. They came to possess His way of looking at things. They lived with Jesus until courage and unselfish living became as natural to them as the opposite had been before they met Jesus Christ. Living with Jesus, coming to know Jesus, courage and unselfish living 
just became a part of their nature. Because living with Jesus, they became like Jesus. And that's what we can do. We can become more and more like Jesus when we make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of our lives. Maybe you haven't ever heard this before. But if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what I don't know if Jesus is your Lord and your Master. Only you can answer that question. You and God know the answer. Maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you've never in simple trusting faith confessed His name and put Him on in baptism. Then I'd beg you to do that before you leave this building this morning. Maybe you've done that. But you haven't lived His kind of life. He hasn't been your Lord. He hasn't been your Master. You need to come back and let brothers and sisters pray with you and pray for you. Whatever there is that's lacking or needful in your life, if we can help you to do that and to make your life right with God, please come and let us do that as together we stand and always sing.